once again. It's the 10th of December and welcome again from Paul and Rachel to Here Comes Christmas. Absolutely. Hello. Actually, 10th of December, it's, time is getting on. We really ought to get our tree out and get the decorations Yeah, we've out. been very hopeless, haven't we, really, this year, because this has been taking so much time. <laughs> we haven't got time to put the tree we, up. We have got some twinkly lights up, haven't we? OK, good. We will start feeling more Christmassy from this afternoon. I promise we'll get the tree out. So, uh, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to be very up crust and we're going to be talking about Nobel Prize winners. Nobel Prize winners, why is yeah. that? Well, because today marks the first time that Nobel Prizes were given in Stockholm and they were given in physics, chemistry, medicine, literature and peace. So it's the 10th of December 1901, the first prizes, and okay. uh, Alfred Nobel was the guy. Who, yeah. He was... a he had a lot of accomplishments, actually. He was a physicist, a chemist, an uh, entrepreneur, made quite a fortune. Out of? Out of dynamite. <laughs> so he uh, experimented with nitroglycerin, which everybody knew was a pretty powerful explosive. But it was really a, a very unstable thing. And you, you took your life in your hands if you messed around with nitroglycerin. And in fact, uh, Alfred's brother died in uh, an accident in their factory whilst they were making this stuff. So he knew pretty much about the dangers. But he, he discovered that if you added uh, a few other bits and pieces, another compound to nitroglycerin, it would become more stable. So he could then uh, sell it as uh, a tool for demolition and for mining, excavation and so on. And he made a good fortune out of that. Yeah. So he died before the Nobel Prizes were actually given, wasn't he? Did. He did. So he declared in his will uh, that his fortune, which estimated around $265 million in today's cash terms, would uh, be used forevermore for um, giving prizes to those who benefited mankind. So we're talking about Nobel Prize winners. We've got a poem later on by one of them, Seamus Heaney. And I thought we could also talk about Cambridge a little bit because when we lived in Cambridge, we often used to walk in Grantchester. And Grantchester is a little village just a couple of miles away from Cambridge on the south side. And you may have been following a programme on television, a sort of murder mystery called Grantchester, which is actually set in the village. It's incredibly interesting because a huge amount of highly intelligent people live there and nowhere else in the world can boast as many Nobel Prize winners as Grantchester. So I think we ought to pull in the Christmas connection here because Cambridge does get associated with Christmas a lot now, doesn't it? Because of the nine lessons and carols, which comes from King's College absolutely every Christmas Eve. And that feels like the start of Christmas, doesn't it? In fact, all the vans, they have three huge vans that turn up. Broadcast outside, vans yes, for outside the gates yeah. of Kings. They will be there now and they will be recording this week. And they will be recording not only the Christmas, the Nine Lessons and Carols, which goes out on the television, but also the Easter service that they do. 
And then the service which goes out live on Christmas Eve on Radio 3 is broadcast live. And the boy who sings the first verse of Once in Royal David City doesn't know who he is until the second beforehand. Doesn't know who he is. Well... Rephrase no, that. No one knows who's going to sing the first verse of Once in Royal David City until he, the boy, is pointed to and the notes are given and he's away. So the theory is that he, he doesn't get too nervous before the... But they're all very experienced, aren't they, in singing solos anyway. So yeah. all eight of them can get nervous. Thinking <laughs> yeah. It might be me. 16. <laughs> yep. Okay. So the song we've chosen today is a little bit of plain song from the 7th century. 7th, not 17th. So it's incredibly old, one of the oldest pieces of music that has been written down. And it's called Creator of the Stars of Night. And it's just a very beautiful melody, which was adapted into 20th century life by a chap called... John Scott, who was an organ scholar at St. John's College, Cambridge. And he died very prematurely, what, about three years ago, I think. And um, he was just a wonderful musician. So we're going to hear Creator of the Stars of Night. Judge in that tremendous day. 
preserve us where we dwell below from every onslaught of the Another beautiful song. It definitely has that air of um, a monastery sort of plain song about it, doesn't it? It wanders yeah. around between the keys and never quite settles at the mm. end of the phrases. And it always takes me back to the Advent carol service at St John's College, Cambridge, where we used to sit in the darkness and wait for it. And the sounds were just quite amazing. So you can hear that service still on the radio mm. at the moment, can't you? Yeah. Yep. Um, BBC Sounds and go to Radio 3. It was broadcast on November the 29th. Very atmospheric. Mm. Okay, what's next? Well, we are going to go into our poem now. Would you like to say something about Seamus Heaney? Uh, Well, we were talking about Nobel Prize winners and Seamus Heaney, of course, got the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1995. So this is a very... Christmassy poem from Seamus, and it's called Holly. It rained when it should have snowed. When we went to gather holly, the ditches were swimming. We were wet to our knees, our hands were all jags, and water ran up our sleeves. There should have been berries. But the sprigs we brought into the house gleamed like smashed bottle glass. Now here I am, in a room that is decked with the red-berried, waxy-leaved stuff, and I almost forgot what it's like to be wet to the skin or longing for snow. I reach for a book like a doubter and want it to flare round my hand. A black-letter bush, a glittering shield wall... Cutting as holly and ice. It's interesting, isn't it? We're all influenced by the community that we live in. And Seamus Heaney, a lot of his work is quite troubled because he grew up in the 60s and 70s in Northern Ireland when the troubles were at their highest and life wasn't easy. Whereas we are very fortunate, aren't we? We are. Um, we live in North Somerset. We are very fortunate. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and we try to give back a little bit to the community, don't we? So I thought we would chat to another lady who does a huge amount with the community, and that's Chris. And she is actually a brown owl, a real-life brown owl. <laughs> <laughs> I can just picture her sitting in the tree at the moment. Yeah. 
So being a brown owl, it means she's in charge of a pack of brownies. Oh, okay. What Gets a, even what a, worse, doesn't it? <laughs> Apart from being delicious at Christmas, what are brownies? Well, they are a group of young girls aged between seven and ten, and they get together every week to sort of play games and to be challenged to have adventures. So around the world, they might be known as Girl Scouts in the in the United States and uh, different things in different parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah. We asked Chris how and when she became the brown owl. Being a brownie is about having fun, about having adventures. It gives them opportunities to do things that they might not otherwise do. So we often go out on residentials and we'll stay overnight and do exciting activities. We go on walks at night. And it's also about them learning and picking up how important it is to be kind to each other. I don't know if you know what, the, but the Brownie Law is a Brownie guide thinks of others before herself and does a good turn every day. It's a really good lesson for them, isn't it? it and is. the whole the whole working together as a team. And you also have children from different schools, don't you? So they meet new people. Absolutely. Yeah. They love it. Because all all too often girls particularly can get in with a small group of friends and they don't see out of those. And and then perhaps when they become teenagers something goes wrong with that friendship group Absolutely. and then people feel very isolated yeah. and it leads to bullying and low self-esteem. Whereas if they've got friends from a broad spectrum, it makes life so much easier for them, doesn't it? Yeah, I can remember my daughter when she was um, a guide, she did 10 tours. So the guides often do 10 tours and walking, you know, for long distances and staying overnight and carrying everything. And it's such a little community they have within that. There was a group of four of them and one of the girls was really tired and couldn't walk any other, anymore. So I can remember my daughter saying that she walked with two, two rucksacks on so that the other girl could walk on her own. And that's the sort of thing that happens. And it's, it's great that they've got those wide friendships. It's lovely. It's- it's a wonderful lesson, isn't it, mm. for them all? Mm. And they gain badges, don't they? That, yeah, that's the, the aim. Well, the one that we've just done is is a brilliant one. It's called the Charities Badge. And the idea is that they choose a charity that they want to raise money for and then go out and try and raise some money. And they have to explain as part of the badge why they chose this charity and went on then to to um, raise the funds and we did it at the start of lockdown and I've got some beautiful stories that the girls report because they report to us to get their badge of what they were doing. My name's Lucy. I chose the World Wildlife Fund. I sponsored a panda because I love animals. I got the money from my birthday instead of having a birthday party. I did it for a whole year. Support dogs are a charity based in Sheffield. They are dedicated to making lives better by helping children with autism, epilepsy and physical difficulties. I'm choosing to raise money for this charity because I think everyone should be happy and feel safe. I'm raising money by doing a sponsored jump and I'm putting posters up all around my village. But you know, between the brownies, I think they raised over a £1,000 between them for their various charities. That's wonderful, isn't it? And such a good lesson for them to learn. Another badge that we did not that long ago 
was about plastics and plastic waste. And they were absolutely into that one, the, the damage that we're doing to our environment through plastics. And they all made a plastic promise. So, for example, some of them promised that they would never, ever use cling film ever again. And they wouldn't buy um, things in plastic bottles. Instead, they would always try and buy things in glass bottles or recycle things. And it gives you a great feeling of satisfaction, too, when you feel that all these kids have had a great time and they've really got something out of it. Are there enough guide leaders? And no, there aren't. We could do with some. In fact, you know, if I were to move, which I'm thinking I might do, there's no one to take over the brownies. I'd hate for them not to be there. Do you know, it's 65 years this year since Bagdon Brownies started. And last week, we found the lady who started the brownies, 18 years old, and she came and joined our brownie meeting on Zoom. It was lovely, 65 years. Did you realise that originally the brownies were not called brownies, they called them rosebuds? Really? Yeah. That would be a very dated expression, wouldn't it? Which doesn't work on several levels. The girls really didn't like that. So they they changed the name to brownies. So the term brownies came from a story published in 1870, uh, written by Julia Ewing. And it was about a couple of children called Tommy and Betty. And in the story, they were told that uh, they could become helpful brownies instead of lazy boggarts. (laughs) I've never heard the name Boggart before. So a a brownie apparently is is a a good spirit. uh, All right, okay. In folklore that comes out and does housework for you uh, and helps around the farm. Yeah. Whereas Boggarts are evil spirits that hang about in the woods. There we go. We've all learned something there, haven't we? Well, I have anyway. Um, Right. I think it's time for Simon, don't you? And he's going to give us another verse of St. Luke's Gospel. On this 10th day of Advent, today the author Luke tells us in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, that while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her first son and named him Jesus, as the angel Gabriel had said. The question or thought is this. If you are a child, ask your mother what it was like giving birth to you. And ask your mother and father what it was like naming you. And if you are a mother, take a moment to remember what it was like for you giving birth to your child. And as a father, what it was like holding your child for the first time and then together, naming him or her. My take is quite short. Following on from yesterday, we continue using our imagination. As Mary is giving every indication that labour is soon, we watch and listen, while Joseph searches accommodation to accommodation, only to discover that none of the inns have vacancies. We register his relief when he is offered the shelter of the stables. We go with Mary and Joseph into this makeshift labour ward. We look around, drinking in the signs and smells and sounds, as Mary 
goes into labour. Notice too our own reaction as the baby's head appears. Do we assist Joseph with the birth? Or do we want to leave Mary and Joseph to enjoy this moment of intimacy together? Do we feel useful or helpless? If you will, reflect for the rest of the day on humanity's relationship with Mary and Joseph and what we can learn from them. Thanks to Simon and it's time to go. So I hope you'll join us again tomorrow. Have we forgotten something, Paul? Oh, you mean the joke? Tina wants a joke. (laughs) Okay. Um, I have heard, actually, that uh, Mary and Joseph would not be able to make it to Bethlehem this year. Oh, no. Why is that? Uh, Because all the Virgin flights have been cancelled. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry about that one. Do you know, I've got a funnier one than that. Okay. Which is true. And it came out in the Cambridge News the year that the Iceland volcano erupted. Can you remember that? I do. When was that? A few years ago. Oh, it was, wasn't it? But Jesus College Cambridge were on tour in Italy and they were going to be stuck there for the whole of the Christmas season and it was all very serious and the Cambridge News had front page saying Virgin brings Jesus home for Christmas (laughs) 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 and with that thought we'll leave you until tomorrow join us then goodbye bye Bye. Bye.